Hi, welcome to this week's Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm the Resident Youth. I'm Camp Adulthood. Amazing. Amazing. Um, we're going to get started with some hot topics. Mm-hmm. And later in this episode, we're going to have special guest Katie Luke, who is an amazing filmmaker and songstress. Mm-hmm. So that is coming up. So look out for that. But right now we want to talk about things that are happening in pop culture and the news. So that's what we're going to talk about. Get started. Yeah. Um, Dear white people. Dear white people. Yes. You told me we were going to talk about this. Yes. Okay. Have you watched any of it? No. Okay. Because I'm a bad co-host. That's fine. Sorry. You can watch it. I'll just preview it. And I guess I I can ask you some questions and I can say my thoughts on it. But basically, Dear White People, I started watching it because I saw it on Netflix. I hadn't, like, read anything or thought about it at all. Like, now it's kind of, I think it's been out in the world. Like, it's been on Netflix for long enough that it's kind of zeitgeisty. Mm-hmm. But I just saw it on Netflix and I was like, Dear White People, this sounds like it's directed at me. So, like, I should watch it. And I did. And I thought it was going to be, like, very, like, social justice warrior-y, like, mm-hmm. This is the black experience for white people that don't know. And it was that a little bit, but in its own right, it was like a very... I just finished it. I'm not going to give any spoilers, but like, it was very funny. It was very well cast, I thought. It was well acted. Um, Like, like there was nothing... I think it got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, which never happens. I saw that. I didn't read the article, but I saw it somewhere. Um, I just thought it was, like, very impressive. So I don't know who wrote the script, who casted it, but I thought those two were, like, amazing. Um, but I thought we could talk a little bit about... I don't know if this is, like, too much of a heavy topic, but, like, I was watching Dear White People, and they have one white... The only, like, main white character, Mm -hmm. I guess, in the show who's not, like, a school administrator. So for people that don't know, it takes place at a fictional Ivy League school called Winchester, And it follows a group of African-American students who um, are there, I guess, like, they go to school there. And this one girl, Sam, has a radio show called Dear White People. Okay. And she's, I guess, the most, she and one other guy, Reggie, are the most social justice warrior-y of the group. And then they have other African-American characters, like Coco, who... Her whole shtick is she's like, I'm trying to blend into like the like it's easier to change the culture that you're in from within, as opposed to like making waves. Like Sam and Reggie are like, fight the power. Like we're gonna go out and protest and like make our voices heard. And mm-hmm. Coco, and a couple of the other characters are like, it's easier in an institution like an Ivy League school if mm-hmm. you're an other, so to speak, to kind of infiltrate your way in to power and then change it from within, mm-hmm. as opposed to like being loud on the outside. Yeah. So Sam has this radio show and the premise of the show is this um kind of i guess it's supposed to be like the harvard lampoon i guess it's like a satire magazine Mm -hmm. at the school called pastiche they have a blackface party to protest sam's show so her show is called dear white people and they have a party called dear black people and it's a blackface party so it's just like terrible yeah all over but There was a lot of parts of the show, again, I don't want to spoil it, that I had not thought about as a white person, and I'm like, I consider myself pretty, like, of the world, like, I look out, like, I try to actively, like, 
experience things that aren't just like my own bubble Mm -hmm. and yet I was like this mainstream Netflix show is teaching me things yeah so I'm like how do we get outside our bubble without you know it's such a heavy topic but I'm like how can I relate better to people even of my own generation like the show is about college kids Mm -hmm. and I'm like I just got out of college like I very much identify with like the college kids now yeah and I'm like like what what can we be doing better without kind of like just understanding like I'm not saying I don't want to like join a protest and be like this problem is my problem because like not every problem is my problem and I can't devote myself to everything and like some things I do happen to disagree with but I'm like how can I just like educate myself yeah and this is something that has come up and I've talked to a lot of people about like I don't have a lot of friends of color Mm -hmm. just like living in New York City as a millennial like we all what is that sound I don't know (laughs) for our listeners there was just a sound that came over our headphones that sounded like someone was cheering very bizarre very bizarre I don't know what's happening maybe the neighbors are watching TV or something but anyways I don't know like I it's it's sometimes hard to relate to media like I try to consume media of people from different cultural backgrounds different socioeconomic backgrounds but it's like if you don't have friends or Mm -hmm. people to talk to or people in your community that are different from you like I feel like we're so isolated I don't know now I feel like I'm on my soapbox but I'm just like how do I be better as a person I mean yeah no I hear you and I think that that's really problematic and I think one thing that's problematic that I feel like we could get in trouble for saying but I'm going to say it anyway is like the fact that we're we can't even ask this question without even asking the question being deemed problematic. Yeah. You know, I like, mean, I get, like, I don't know. I also don't know. Like, like if you have show, to ask that question, then you're part of the problem. I guess. But I'm like, what was the show? Cause like, I've seen like dear white people, I've seen the advertising for the mm-hmm. show and it'll say like, dear white people, you probably thought this show was about you. Yeah. And I'm like, I know it's not about me because the the central characters and, like, the plot of the show, like, if if it was called something else, if it was just called, like, Winchester, which is the name of the school that they go to, like, in and of itself, it's just a show about all these different characters that are Mm African-American and, like, their experience at this school and, like, there's a central plot that doesn't revolve around Sam and her show called Dear White People, right? So I'm like, yeah, I get that. But I'm also like, you clearly called that, like, it's based on a book, too. I'm like, yeah. you called the show Dear White People because you wanted to be pro- white people to watch yeah. it. And you wanted them to learn something from it, right? Like, I can't yeah, just pretend that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess, like, we'll have to... I mean, I think this would like, be a really... the answer. Like, I really don't know what it is. I just, like, I try. Yeah. I mean, I think this would be a really great topic to discuss with a guest, and I certainly, I, I feel like I have a couple Some people I could source. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know because I think it's really complicated in a lot of ways. First of all, like I said before, I think the fact that we could be seen as part of the problem for asking the question is problematic in and of itself which i would push back on that like anyone that says that's a wrong question it's like well what do you want me to do just be quiet and not say anything exactly is that better for you because that's where i'm at i'm either gonna try or i'm not gonna try i think also which one is better 
you know, when we talk about race, there tends to be a lot of, as with so many things in our country right now, we want to make it a dichotomous issue. Like you're black and if you're black, you have one experience. And if you're white, you have one experience. But I think that that is patently not true. Mm-hmm. And I think so. Which I think so, the show did a good job of, yeah. like, and, well, and I think, showing like, the diversity I definitely of the black wanna, experience as well mm-hmm. in one specific setting I thought was good. Because I feel like um, there's so many socio socioeconomic issues that go into this, and we don't, you know, you're not talking about rural people of color in the same way that you should be talking about urban people of color and right, suburban, absolutely. and there's this whole spectrum. And... Um, yeah, I think a lot of that. Yeah, I think it just comes goes more to show play. that, like, yeah. I mean, it sounds so cliche and stupid, but it's yeah. like putting people in buckets just for the sake of doing it is not yeah. productive. It's not, prob- not productive. Yeah, and part of it is like, yeah, there is barrier where, like, in media and stuff like that, you see certain groups of people a certain way, and you expect them to be a certain character. Yeah, and I think that's what the show, at least to me, tried to do, and I thought did well. Mm-hmm. Um. But, like, there is no quintessential white experience. There is no black experience. But it's, like, like what is the best way if you don't have, like, people in your immediate surroundings to be, like, this is my experience mm-hmm. to do? Like, do you just continue to, like, consume media? Do you try? Like, because no one wants to be condescended to. No one wants to be, like, the black friend. Well, exactly. Like, and a, no one wants to hear, like, I understand the black experience because right, I have because black friends. Don't. Because you don't. Right. You know. There's a podcast that I really like called Friends Like These, mm-hmm. and it's part of Crooked Media, which they do, Pod Save America and Pod Save the World. They do a lot of political podcasts. And it's this woman named Anna Marie Cox, and she basically talks to people she like wants to have uncomfortable conversations. Mm-hmm. So it was like after the last election, she um, has like people in her life that she disagrees with or mm-hmm. people that she's met. Like she's pretty liberal. She had an evangelical pastor on to talk about the election. And one of her episodes, she had um, a coworker of her. She works at MTV news who was African-American mm-hmm. and she was like, like, basically, the whole conversation devolved into, like, what's it like being the be- the black friend? Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really interesting, because he gave such good answers that I'm not going to be able to paraphrase here. Yeah. Um, but it is really interesting, because he was like, I feel like I have the weight of the world on my shoulders, that I have to educate all of these white people that I work with at MTV News and all of my white friends, because mm-hmm. sometimes I am the only one, and they look to me and are like what's your answer on this? And he's like, sometimes I just want to like talk about the Super Bowl. Like I don't want to be the black expert on everything. Yeah. And I was like, that is true. But it's like, and if you are someone's only black friend. Yeah. But also I, it's really difficult. I feel like someone who's a college educated black person that's working at, um, MTV news. I'm sorry, does not have the same black experience. I'm sure they, and he experienced a ton of racism, but he is not everything you know living in poverty in the bronx like you're yeah. not you never have you so never it's will wrong, you it's know? wrong to like have the expectation that every that people are only their yeah identity and are only like one thing about them like if you look at a black person they're like tell me what it's like to be black like that's a stupid mm-hmm. thing to say um but it's also i feel like as the person that's like trying to put themselves out there and like trying to be educated. Yeah. It's like where do you 
like where do you start and i think it is with interpersonal conversations and having and talking to people like i've always thought that but it's hard when you don't have the the full spectrum of people at your fingertips to talk to like if you aren't a journalist like you're not on marie cox like i can't just call people and be Mm -hmm. like what's your experience talk to me Maybe one day when we have that sweet blue apron money. Sweet blue apron money. Everyone, everyone on the podcast and we can talk to them. But yeah. Um, yeah, I thought I thought shows like Dear White People do a good job of that and showing further diversity within one group, whether mm-hmm. that's like Ivy League or African American mm-hmm. or educate like college educated people. I thought it did a good job of breaking down all of those labels. So I would highly yeah. recommend it. Awesome. So are we on to the next hot topic? On to the next, and I think that, again, like we said, let's crowdsource. If you want to have an answer to that question about how we can mm-hmm. be more engaged and ask and and ask the question, how we can be more engaged, totally. um, email us hello at campadulthood.com. Yeah, we'd love to learn more. Or you can um, tweet at us or post on Instagram. We're at camp underscore adulthood on both of those platforms. So awesome. please connect with us. Um, um, do you have another hot topic? I do. Okay. I have many. Keep going. I have lots of hot topics. Keep going. Um, fire festival. Oh, I, yes. You explained to me all about yes. it. Yes. So Shay and I had dinner on Thursday. Um, this one is actually crowdsourced. Yes. On one of Danielle. Oh yeah. A friend. Yes. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Our um, first fan. Our first as fan. As she emailed us. Yes. Um, asked us to talk about fire festival and it's actually something that i had been looking at mm-hmm. and i explained to shay what it was i'll briefly go through it again but i'm sure at this point people that are interested already know what it is but if you don't um it was basically a music festival put on by Ja rule yes i'm not familiar with his music no i could not pick him out of a lineup of one pretty much <laughs> i don't know what he looks like i've heard his name i know he's like a famous person um but he basically paired up with these millennial, te- like these guys in their 20s, these investors, and they wanted to put on this super luxury festival. The tickets started, I think, at $1,500, which is crazy. And it was supposed to be super high end, like the best food, the best accommodations in the Bahamas, like super cool bands, like Blink 182, which I guess is still relevant. Which, yeah, I'm like, I didn't even know Blink 182 was still cool. I guess they are. I mean, I like Blink-182. I mean, so do I, but... I didn't realize they were, like, a big draw these days. Neither did I. But anyways, um, so they they had a bunch of, like, Instagram influencers and, like, Kendall Jenner, bless her heart. Bless her little heart. She, she like, endorsed it, I guess. She posted about it, and all these people bought tickets, and they all showed up in the Bahamas last weekend, and there was nothing. It was literally, like, a field... With not even enough tents or beds for everyone, not enough food. People were eating literally like a piece of bread without any condiments and cheese and a lettuce without dressing. Like that's all they had for people to eat. Mm -hmm. And so it became a disaster situation and the consulate had to get involved. The poor people of the Bahamas had to help them. Like it was not a good situation. So, I mean, I had many questions about this. First and foremost... Why would you not cancel the festival? Right. Like, even a day before, you know. And there were people who who talked about this. There was a guy that wrote an article for the New York Times who said, 
like I worked on this festival. He was a producer and he was in charge of kind of liaising with the talent and the festival. And he was like, they weren't paying the talent. So I knew that this was not a professional thing. And he left six weeks out from the festival and he was like, they should have just told these people not to come. Yeah. Like, I mean, the thing is, like, you can there? make up so many lies. You can be like, there's been a flood at the site. There's, you know, all these various things. You don't have to go on with it. Like, right. And you can get out scot-free. Totally. So I wanted to, oh, hopefully I can find it. Maybe I can't. Fuck. Someone I follow on Twitter posted like a very funny thing. Hold on. I'm going to find it. You can do it. Sorry, Jenny. Maybe we won't cut this out. I should have been more prepared. Yeah, sorry, Jenny. There's there was there's going to be a lot of editing <sighs> on this one because you're not here to keep us on track. I know. Such a disaster. Such a disaster. It's like a funny quote about Fire Festival. Anyways, I don't think I can find it. Aww. All right. Well, we can cut all of this out because clearly I suck. Both the dogs are hiding on my dog. I have a live dog oh cam gosh. of my dog. <laughs> um, oh, but there they light. go. Oh my god. What a bunch of delightful puppos. Um, yeah, I mean, I had the same question about the Fire Festival, too. I was like, why do they not just cancel it? Like, what is the deal? Mm-hmm. And. I think it's just like these guys were so like egotistical that they didn't want to admit that they were unprepared. Uh, I think that blows my mind. Yeah. I mean, they haven't come out. I haven't seen like Ja Rule put out a statement and was like, I was not involved with the planning. Like I take responsibility, but I was kind of hands off with this whole thing. Yeah. And like some people who were involved, like the producer that I talked about with the New York times, Mm -hmm. but the, the actual like festival organizers have not, put anything out that i've seen yeah which i think is telling yeah that they're like fuck we know we messed it up real bad yeah i mean i just it it blows my i mean i don't know i've helped produce some kind of big events and like there's a point where yeah you know like you know it's just not gonna happen yeah and And it's just like people were in danger like they were stuck here like people were passing out you can look on instagram and twitter people were live tweeting it yeah like I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy to me. And I was talking to a friend about it, and people were like, like from the consumer side of it, there was a piece that I read about how this is the proliferation of fake news, right? Yes, yes. Kendall Jenner posts a picture of herself on the beach or on a boat or whatever, and people see this as advertisement. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, she's like a rich, famous person. And she I guess that's know. the same as, like, a Dior yeah. ad, but it's different when you're, like, selling an experience. Exactly. And now, like, someone has to pick up the mess, mm-hmm. and it's... It's going to cost so much more. Yeah. It's not this company. No. Right? So... But it could have been anyone. That's what they were saying, is if you're just looking at the Instagrams and you're looking at the website, like, it looks really legit, and if you yeah. have $1,500 to spend, it seems like a really cool thing. Yeah. So it's like, how do we stop this? Yeah. Well, and I think that's really interesting, you know anybody can make a professional looking website these days like it doesn't even take right our website is gonna be very it's gonna professional. be super professional and it's basically me like fucking yeah. around on squarespace it's all of us squarespace if you'd a like to <laughs> no, what is their line 
I don't know. I don't know. They have a good it's like one. Think differently or something. Yeah. Well, we've thought differently. We'll Squarespace. We'll figure it out. Yeah. But um, yeah. So I think it's really interesting. It's very easy to put a brand out there, which is something that yeah. we've been talking about. Um, that looks very professional. And this is not like you know, 1998 when every website looked like your grandma did it. Totally. Um, I don't know. And I think a lot of it, too, is like some of these people they talked about, they had a gut feeling about it before they went. Mm -hmm. Some of them had been calling customer service and hadn't been hearing back or they were asking about specific details and they weren't hearing about it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, well, if you're not hearing back from the people that you need to hear back from, like, maybe don't fly to a different country. Like, I know it's easy to, like hindsight is twenty twenty kind of thing but it's it's just a lesson to everyone and like trust your gut like if something doesn't seem right don't and you're do trusting it. a celebrity yeah. that you've never met like probably don't do that well and i also feel however like i wonder if this people who are just willing to drop fifteen hundred dollars for a festival ticket you're talking about a totally different socioeconomic right class so people who can spend that type of money expect things to just go their way like they're yeah. not so it's very it's different like from when you're paying like the fire festival. I guess like, yeah, I guess like the people that they had doing the advertising yeah. had a specific brand, but like the fire festival, this is the first time they're doing it. Mm-hmm. It's not like Coachella or Lollapalooza yeah. or ACL or something that's been around for a while. It's like, you're trusting something that's only just happened. Exactly. So, I don't know. I will say the live tweeting and the Instagrams were like pretty funny. Oh my I'm God. I'm not going to lie. Like just from like an entertainment perspective, like yeah. if I was in that situation, it's like horrifying. I definitely feel for the people, but yeah. if you're looking for some good like internet content, it's like very funny. Oh my like God. the pictures of just like the bread with cheese. The bread classic. In a very dirty classic. field. I love it. All right. Next hot topic. Okay. So this isn't exactly a hot topic. Okay. But I thought we should bring it up. Oh no. So, Shay and I used to live together. Yes. Best years of our lives. Which was the impetus lives. of this podcast. Uh-huh. And I was traveling to Vietnam. Oh, God. And Shay knows where this is going. Okay, this is going to make me sound like I'm a weird, naive idiot. Oh, it's okay. And maybe a racist, a but I'm not. No. It's not racist. It's about geography. It has okay. nothing to do with the people that live there. That's true. So, I was traveling to Vietnam, and we... I mean, I also thought it. Like, I, I had no, like, evidence to the contrary. We both, I'll say we both thought Vietnam oh. was an island nation. It is not. It is not an island. It does have a sea coast, however. It does. Yes. It has beautiful beaches. Yes. But it's not an island nation. I kind of thought Vietnam looked like Japan, but more southern. Yeah. That really makes like, me sound rude. No. Like, some sort of, like, Pacific island yeah. kind of situation. Exactly. It's not, turns out. Turns out. It is on it is part of a continent yes landlocked on three sides yes has a coast not an island not an island um also in the same vein i thought afghanistan had a coast it's landlocked for like the longest time yeah but there's a surprising number of seas in the middle east there is. Yeah. But they don't... None of them touch Afghanistan. None of them touch Afghanistan. None of them touch Afghanistan. And it is I, sad, I know landlocked this is, place. This has been talked about a lot. This is not, like, a new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. But, like, it, I, I don't know. Like, I consider I consider us, like, yeah. we have two master's degrees between yes. us. Yes. Both of them belong to you. 
but we have two master's degrees between us. Yes. Two bachelor's degrees. And like, why, why do we not know more things? And I'm like, on one end, it's a useless piece of knowledge. Like mm-hmm. I am not going to be a better citizen. I'm not going to be a better employee, a better friend yeah. for knowing these things. But I'm just like, how could I get through 23 years of life? But without knowing, I think this is really interesting because we're able, I think in this day and age, and we're encouraged to become these real kind of like subject matter experts. Like as long as you know everything about your thing, you like don't need to know about anything dive else. Yeah. Into and one thing kind of thing. I kind yeah, of think that that's sense. not good. I mean, I was really lucky where yeah, I went to university. Because how can you not? What? No one thing or know about everything. Yeah. Especially if you're doing something like like something creative Mm -hmm. right if you're trying to like be a self-starter it's like you really have to know yeah like the complete vertical in order to get your stuff off the ground like no one's going to do that for you but i think it's like what's problematic is that we're not taking away this kind of broad education from our public school system or just from our general like true you know that's what's more problematic is that i learned about the same four years of American history for like 10 years of school. Yeah. When it would have been very helpful. You know, I I really still don't understand the Cold War. Like I could explain it to you in a way that sounded smart. I don't really get it. I don't really get Vietnam. Why were we fighting? What was the resource we wanted? I don't know. You know, stuff that would have been really helpful. The War of 1812. Couldn't tell ya. Yeah. But I know a lot about Civil War history. Yeah. (laughs) You know. I don't know. And I, I know don't know a lot about Revolutionary is. War history. Yeah, I don't know why that is. And I know now it's like, obviously we could Google all these things like figuring out if Afghanistan's not landlocked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could Google that in an instant, but it's like if everyone is expected to have an opinion on something mm-hmm. and everyone doesn't have an, have an opinion, how do you sift through that when it's like people who are quote-unquote educated yeah. don't know Well, and how do we facts. establish the baseline of what someone like, should know? Is it, yeah, like, is it even important to know geography? Yeah, but I mean, I think it's, it is important, and, and I think there becomes a point where it's like, there are certain things, like, okay, maybe I didn't realize the exact geography of Vietnam, but I know that where it is, I know kind of the basics of its economy, I know even though yeah. I said I didn't really you know, know what the Vietnam War was about, but I know had something to do with communism and that it was really important, you yeah. know? Um, but I think that goes across the the board. And then, you you know, if we're well-educated and there are certain you know, these baseline things that we're not aware of, like what is Joe Schmo, Schmo that kind of like works at the factory, even though we don't really do that anymore in this day and age, but like, you know, well, just like the average Joe. Yeah, like what is your average Joe now who yeah. didn't go to college? Like, if, it, it, sure. it's problematic to me if I say the word, like if I say Ho Chi Minh City and they don't have any idea what that is. Like, yeah. That's problematic. But my question is like, does everyone, like the reason why I wanted to bring this up is like, does everyone have to have an opinion and a feeling on everything? Because in, in reality, if you live in America... Like, I guess it was different when we were using Vietnam as an example. If Mm -hmm. we were at war with Vietnam, yeah, it helps you contextualize. And, like, there was a draft. It's Mm -hmm. good to know, like, what's going on. But, like, in in this day and age, like, pick any foreign country. Like, is it important to have an opinion? Like, for everyone to have an opinion on their political system? No, but I think it's important for people to know 
The basics. The basics. Like, Luxembourg is a place in Europe. Yeah. You know? Like, basic facts. And, sure. And but even, like, going beyond that, like, the French election is happening right now. Yeah. There's a lot of parallels being drawn between what's going on there and mm-hmm. what has already happened in America. Does every French and every American person have to have an opinion on that? I think no. No, but I think people should know that the French election is happening and it's an important thing. You know, that people should know that Brexit is happening and it's an important thing that may affect you. And if you want to learn more about it and that we should feel open to asking questions. And I think that's what's really I agree. I think people should be more inquisitive. Yeah. But I think not... I agree that they're important things. I just don't think that every everything impacts everyone. That's true. And so to have the expectation, I think there's sometimes a condescending attitude mm-hmm. towards people that don't know things or that aren't educated. Yeah. And it's like, in the grand scheme of life, if you live in a certain place and do a certain thing, what happens in France it's not gonna is not going you. to affect you. So it's like, to expect people to draw these parallels and to spe- expect people to know... And then on the flip side, to give gravitas to people's opinions that might know just as much as you do. And you're like, hey, wait a minute. Like, you might, like, why does this affect you more than it affects me mm-hmm. kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And I I don't know. Like, it's especially hard because we don't have, with social media, everyone has a platform. Yeah. Well, and I think, again, there's this, no one to sift through the opinions. You know, it's just kind of, and then it's easy to just tune it all out and be like, nothing matters. <laughs> yeah, there's a barrage of information. And I think 20 years ago, when everyone was pretty much fed the same front page news in their local newspaper and watched the same six yeah. o'clock news every night on TV, then yeah, you should know what's covered in that half hour of television world sure. news. But now yeah. that's not, doesn't happen. So, how do you thing. pick? pick and choose what those topics are. Who can curate that for you? Right. Here at Camp Adulthood, we'll curate it for you. I know. (laughs) That's one. um, I think the fall of local news, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. like local newspapers is really sad. Yeah. It's like, that's what affects people most really. Yeah. On your day to day is where you live. Yeah. And it's like, where do you go? Like, I don't even know. I guess I could turn on like New York one. Mm hmm. But like, we don't consume Where news do in that get... way anymore. Yeah. Like, I don't know who my city council member no. is. No. And that's, like, what really would affect me, I would think. Mm-hmm. Like, when is the garbage being collected? Yeah. How much do things cost? What are my taxes going to? Yeah. I don't know. And I have no idea. Yeah. Literally no idea. Yeah. But I also wonder if part of that is a reflection of living in New York City, and I think this would be a really interesting question to make a note of for when we do talk to people who maybe have an experience of being an adult in a smaller town or in a suburb, and like, you know, do you know these things? Yeah, um, I mean, and do we just not know them engaged. because of the bar- the barrage of everything here in New York? Yeah, no, I think it just depends on the the person. Yeah, if you're more engaged or not. Awesome. I don't know. Okay. I have one last one hot last topic. hot topic. Um. The Rookie Podcast. Have you listened to this? Oh, Tavi Gevinson. Yes. I haven't listened to it, but I, I love Tavi. Tavi Gevinson. So. Um, Tavi, would you like to come on Camp Adulthood? Oh my god, I would love her. Her podcast is really good. Yeah. I don't know who is producing it, yeah. but like she has a bunch of different segments. Awesome. She has a segment called Ask a Grown, because she's like a young person. Yeah. <laughs> and so she brings in people that like work at Rookie or like other contributors. Oh my god, and I love it. They are like, what should I do about this problem? And yeah. then like a grown-up adult... And I like, guess she's do been this. doing this on the rookie site for a while yeah. in print form and other things. 
where they just ask adults. Mm-hmm. They're like, this is a teenager's question. They had like Seth Rogen do it. It was very funny. I love it. Um, I would not so trust she has Seth that, Rogen. And then she interviews people. Like she interviewed Win- Winona Ryder. <sighs> she interviewed um, Lord. Like Ooh. a bunch of really cool people. Yeah. And she's very articulate. It's very well produced. Yeah. I'm like, how? My thing about her, about Tabby Evanson in particular, is like, she blew up when she was like 12. Yeah. And I'm like, how is she not like a head case? Well, or does she just perform really well? I think Tavi is really interesting because that's her whole shtick, right? Is that she is basically managing this empire. Yeah. But she's like a regular teen. And I recently heard her interviewed um, on the Dear Sugar podcast. Oh, and they I were doing that one yet. Oh, it's so good. They think they were doing, it was either on the Letters from Teens episode, I think. Um and it was really interesting to hear her because she's like fawning over Cheryl Strait, first of all, even though Cheryl is like, you are way more famous yeah. <laughs> than I am. Which is true. Um, and she just kind of talks about, I, I just thought it was really interesting listening to her talk because she was talking about these kind of quintessential, again, like coming of age things. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, yeah, me and my friend both just got dumped. So we did this thing and like ate a bunch of ice cream. And then, oh, but then we moved to New York and now we live here and run rookie. Yeah. And I'm like, it's just a really interesting yeah. dichotomy. And I and I do wonder, like, how much of that is a persona that she puts forth. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think, I mean, maybe I'm just, like, sitting the Kool-Aid, but I think it's, like, really genuine. Because mm-hmm. I listen to her podcast, yeah. and I think if I didn't know, it was, like, a tw- I don't know how old she I think she's, like, 20 or 21 yeah. now. she's very She's young. definitely not a teenager anymore. No. But, I'm like, if I didn't know that, I would think... It's like a 35-year-old doing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm like, I don't know if that's just her, like, just always being around grown-ups. But, like, she talks about her upbringing. Like, she, I think she comes from, like, a very normal family. Like, her dad yeah. was really supportive. Yeah. And they kind of, like, sheltered her from all the craziness a little bit. Yeah. I'm just like, that's so interesting. Yeah. Well, and she was talking about... Well, what she ended up talking about on the Dear Sugar podcast was that a young woman had written in and was like, you know, I feel like a big outcast and I don't really know where to go to find community. And uh, Cheryl and Stephen Tavi were like, you need to, you should go on the internet. And I thought that was really yeah. interesting. And Tavi talks about how she wanted a community, so she created a community. Mm-hmm. And that's a really yeah. powerful, powerful thing. And, um, and so new, right? You know, you've only been able to go online and create these communities for maybe, maybe 20 years, but to do it in the way and to just be able to quickly find a, you know, quote unquote tribe, even though I hate that word. Um, Why do you hate that word? Uh, well, I think it's a little, um, I keep saying racist, which is not the word that I want to use, but I think it's a little, um, it's like appropriating something else appropriating. that exists in the world. Yeah, yeah exactly. Someone was that, something um, else that I was listening to. I think it was someone was like railing against like like the squad yeah like tribe oh thing. I mean I like I think calling it a squad is, is fine better. I think yeah. calling That's it a like community a term. yeah yeah I think calling it a tribe like is a little problematic yeah um but yeah and, and how she talks about how having this online community that she created and curated really helped her get through her teen years but I mean, again, I think this is a bigger conversation. But I'm like, all of her she was in the public eye. I think that's. What, I mean, yeah. I think being in the public eye as a kid is very isolating. Yeah. So but I get she that. created the 
the stage. So I think that's yeah. very different mm-hmm. as opposed to like being a child actor where you're going on a stage that someone else right. creates for you. You're kind of at the whim of a lot of adults. Yeah. I don't know. I feel I, I have I'm sure there's things out there that I could consume, but mm-hmm. I'd be interested in like hearing from her parents. Yeah. It's like if you have an eleven year old that's starting a blog, like I know kids are very like smart and can figure out the internet and yeah. whatever. But I'm like as a parent Someone had to be driving her to those meetings. Oh, yeah. And, like, I know it's her dad. Like, she talks about how her dad, like, took her to the Met Ball and, like, Mm -hmm. did all of these things when she was a kid. But I'm like, as a parent, you have to decide, like, either we're going to keep this as, like, Mm -hmm. a hobby and, like, a fun thing. Yeah. Or we're going to squash it entirely. Or we're going to, like, we see potential in this. Yeah. And it's like, as a parent, how do you know? Because there's such a downside to having a kid in the public eye, I feel. I don't know. I mean, I think you have to let the kid the child dictate what they want. Right. But you it's know? so hard because children are bing bongs. Children are total children are bing, bing bongs. And I feel like Toddie Evanson is the exception because she is so articulate. Mm-hmm. And her parents were very normal. Like, they're not taking money from her. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, like, all fine and dandy. But I'm like, how do you know? Because kids are very manipulative. I don't know. I mean, I don't have kids. I don't spend a lot of time around them. But I just... I just find it so fascinating because... But I think you know when a kid is really passionate about yeah. something and when they start to lose interest. Out of all, yeah, but exactly. And you just have to make sure... It's just if, so risky. As a parent, you're setting... As long as you're setting your own ego aside, then you're good to go. Right. So. Here we have Katie Luke. And hey. I'll let her introduce herself. So um, excited to be here. But Yay. she is a wonderful filmmaker and... And songstress. Talented songstress. So... Love that. Thank you for being here. Songstress makes it sound more special. <laughs> it, <laughs> it is very special. Or more like magical or something. Yeah. Instead of it just well, being you are like a magical person. <laughs> so Songstress. I like that. I'm going to keep that. You should. Film Change it on your website. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So if we want to start with your background, where you were born and what year. Sure. Uh, I was born in the suburbs of Detroit, Michigan. Royal Oak, Michigan, to be exact. It's got a fancy name. Beaumont. Royal Oak, Just like Maddie. And yet, you guys never knew each other until college, right? Didn't know each other until college. And actually, Maddie lived kitty corner to a boyfriend that I had for a while in high school. So we were bound to cross paths, I think. Uh, Yeah, so I was born uh, in 1992, and I grew up in the same house in Michigan, in the suburbs, my whole life. My parents still live there, and they'll probably die there. (laughs) So... um, yeah, it's a, it was a good place to grow up. And, um, I mean, what else do you want to know? Uh, where'd you go to college? College, I went to NYU. And what did you study? I studied drama. I originally was in musical theater and then um, kind of backtracked to regular acting and then found film, film acting, like, in the last... Oh, I love this book. It's a good book. We have books holding so up the funny. microphone so they're at the proper yeah, length. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Distractions. <laughs> Commenting on them. Discussion. No, it's fine. We're very... Yeah, it's a good one. Nick Offerman, Gumption. It's funny. Yeah, everyone should read it. Everyone should read it. Um, yeah, found filmmaking in my last semester of college, and then after I got out of college, I was auditioning a lot and trying to do musical theater still, and nothing was hitting, and I was miserable. So I was like, well, screw this. I'm just going to make my own stuff. So then I started producing concerts, and then I wrote a film and decided I should direct this, and it ended up winning a few awards. And from there, I kept making films and kept writing songs, and now I'm just trying to do film and music all the time. So 
Awesome. It's good times. <laughs> I've been to two of Katie's shows and they were both great. <laughs> Yay. And Katie may in a little bit, Serenade. you know, delight us with one of her songs. <laughs> so we're very excited to have our first musical guest <laughs> on the show. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your work and some of kind of the, uh, the themes that run through it? Sure. So um, I guess it just depends on what I'm feeling in the moment. Um whether it's something that's happening politically that's really weighing on me or a relationship or a place or one exchange between a person. It's just locking onto moments of truth and expanding upon them because of the way that they impact me. And the more specific I can be about how whatever it is is impacting me, then I can expand on it and bring other people into it. And it seems... With my experience, the more specific I get about a certain experience or a place or a feeling or whatever it is, the more people connect to it as well. So, yeah, I'm just interested in connecting to other people. That's really what I want, to connect to people and feel something with them or help them to feel something or, yeah, to release ourselves to one another. So how many films have you made? Um... Officially, that you've like released out into the world sure. for people to consume. Okay, so it's such a hard question because there's so many different ways that films can be released and consumed in this day and age. There's festivals, there's theaters, there's YouTube, there's platforms online. Um, so a lot of like I've made a lot of just little micro films that I just put on the internet and uh, like. I've also made a couple sh- actual short films. So if I'm like thinking about actual films I've made, I've made three, I think. Cool. Yeah. All shorts, under eight minutes each. And they're super good. So everyone <laughs> should go to Katie's website, yes. which is? KatieLuke.com. Can you spell that, please, Katie? Yeah, of course. It's a tricky spelling. K-A-T-Y-L-U-E-C-K. <laughs> My personal favorite of the three that I watched this morning was Last Night, and I thought it was really... And I want to know what happens at the end. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if you were going to tell me what I was. I almost texted you, like, as I was watching you, like, just tell me what happened. Um, so can you, like, walk us through that? And what was your inspiration? Totally. And, yeah. So um, that's a really special film. That's the first film I ever made. And I had the time of my life making it. It was right after I had uh, I had a, a interesting experience two years ago in March. There was an explosion in the East Village. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it was right next to my apartment and my roommate and I were displaced for a month and like literally I, next door to your apartment. Literally next yeah. door. Yeah. Three buildings went down. Um, and two people died. So even though I was fine and all my stuff was fine, thankfully, and I, I'm back in that apartment now and I've lived there going on three years. It just was crazy. It was such a, uh, eye opening experience. It just like really dropped me into the moment and what I'm doing and what I want. So that was the catalyst for moving into moving away from auditioning and being at the like beck and call of other people and just mm-hmm. deciding to make what I want to make and do what I want to do for others. So that was around the time that I was deciding, well, maybe I should take this script that I wrote a while ago while in school and see if I can make a film because no one's casting me in anything. So why don't I just make something out of this script that I believe in that I could be in? that I could make for not very much money. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So I actually reached out to one of my sorority sisters, Dina Graham. She's an amazing cinematographer and producer who went to NYU as well. And I just was like, what do I do? Like, how do I turn this into a, a thing? Like, how, how to, where do I even begin? Because all I know is acting and some things about filming. And she loved the script and basically was like, I'll make it. Like, let's make it together. So then it just was the most fun I've ever had. It was collaborating with all these awesome people, like pulling together a crew, uh, finding other actors that I knew or didn't know to come work with me. Um, and just like turning this vision that I had in my head into something real. So I ended up spending, I want to say like six months after we shot it. We shot it in like two days, mm -hmm. um, 10 hours in whole, like the wow. whole thing was 10 hours of shooting. And I think we spent like $500 on the production of it. Oh, wow. So not that much. I mean, like nothing <laughs> compared to how much films cost. But, I mean, a lot of money just to make a thing that who knows if this was even going to be good. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. I was yeah. like, just following my heart and following my inspiration, I guess, and following my vision. But um, after six months, I submitted it to a bunch of film festivals and got into a lot, a lot more than I expected. Not a, not a lot of the A festivals, like the ones you hear about, like Cannes or Berlin or Sundance. Those are ones that people are... Obviously, that's like the top tier, but some other ones that had been running for 15 years and 10 years, and um, I ended up going to a bunch of the festivals and meeting amazing artists, some of them that I still am working with now, um, and who are also incredible and in making incredible things about, about life and about what it is to live in this city or live, live as people of our generation. Um, and can you tell us about the, kind of the premise of the film? Sure, yeah. So... Um, it follows a young woman's walk home, and it's like a slice of life drama. Oh, I haven't like talked about this film in so long. <laughs> oh, this is so sorry. Funny. I just I watched it this morning. I was literally yeah. so moved by it and so Thank struck you. by it. I was like, okay, I won't talk to Katie all about it. Oh, so. cool. Yeah. Well, I spent. It's funny because now it's like flashing back to being at all these festivals because that's what everyone does at the festival. You're like, oh, what's your film? What's it called? What's yeah. it about? And then you just um, talk about it. But I haven't talked about it in a while, so it's nice to to like reminisce about the film. So it, it's a slice of life, short film, a drama, uh, following a young girl's walk home as she battles with a bunch of women's health issues. So pregnancy, verbal harassment, uh, depression, and suicide. So it, and it's packed into like a nine minute film. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All of these things are addressed and without any apology, it just is like boom, 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 this is happening to this girl and this is how she's reacting. Um, and it's kind of like real time, like you're just watching her walk home. So it's really slow and really quiet and really dark. Um, and yeah, and the ending's kind of ambiguous. Yeah. So do you know how it ends? <laughs> uh, you can tell me after if you want. <laughs> I, I love that question yeah. and I love that everyone asks it, um, because it truly is open-ended. Like it's whatever you think mm -hmm. happened, like after you watched it. It, and it goes, the screen goes black, then you have to be the one to choose. Like, I can't. So, what tell do you, you think, Shay, after having watched it so recently? Um, or are you still I processing? Mean, the way that she threw that rope out the window was, it was very, it was very deliberate. Like, this, I really yeah. felt like this was a woman who had made up her mind mm -hmm. and this is what she was going to do. Right. But, kind of the mundaneness of the walk home, mm -hmm. you know, she's kind of like, 
just doing her thing and, you know. Right. But there's an interesting kind of, like, last meal concept that goes on. And I don't know. So I really, <laughs> I really, I don't know. I think she did it. I think she went through with it. So yeah. I get about half and half. Yeah. People respond. Although, oh, God, that would be really awful yeah. way to go. It could really go yeah. either way. Um, which is, I don't know. I feel like there are the mundaneness and then the moment when she does go out the window with mm-hmm. the rope that I'm sure that happens. Like people have a decision and they're like just walking home in their real life yeah. and they're having like suicidal thoughts and you would never know by looking yeah. at them and they have no one to talk to. They have no one to reach out to. And so I don't know. I just, I hoped to capture that. Yeah. And struggle and we talked a little bit last week about uh, 13 reasons why and why that's you know getting so much attention for the way that it portrays suicide and I feel like I mean I haven't watched it yet have you, you watched it I watched it yeah, yeah I, I watched the whole thing and I've been told to see apparently very bloody right At, like yeah I mean spoiler alert I don't yeah. know if you care I've heard it's really graphic if I'm spoiling yeah I mean like she slits her wrists and they show it like the whole thing yeah Whoa. from like start to finish which like that's no, brave wow. yeah so like it's... no music just like her on screen for like 10 minutes just that dying wow. yeah so how do you i mean choosing to kind of portray mm-hmm. that in a totally different way mm-hmm. i mean how do you think about your choice versus that just not to really take this deep like no, sorry guys no worries no we can we can lighten we it can up lighten later. it up later this is, good. No, this is good i'll tell my favorite story about katie in a little bit <laughs> Oh my god, I can't wait to hear what that what that story could be. Um, I think that's really cool that they did it without any sound. And I mean, I'd love to see it to see like how real it feels. Because I just, I care more, less about how shocking it is or how how it looks or how it feels. Well, I guess I care a lot about how it looks and how it feels. But um, just as long as it's rooted in truth and... I'm not taken out by some, like, the music being too overpowering or too intense or, uh, I don't know. Like, too many affectations, kind of. Yeah, and sometimes too many affectations is exactly right and is exactly what a film or a song needs, but it just can't be for the sake of doing it. Like, don't just show me a girl slitting her wrist all the way through and make me sit through it because it's a bold choice. Like, do it because there's, like, a, a reason and truth to that piece, whether mm-hmm. it's the writer that experienced it or um, it's inspired by a thought that someone had, not that they actually went through with it or whatever it is, as long as it's truthful and real, which I think that comes from my acting background because that's all that we learned in school was like truth. Like what's mm-hmm. the truth of the moment and the truth of the experience and how can you bring that to life? Totally. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah move I was at Katie's show it wasn't that long ago maybe two weeks ago it was two weeks ago yeah yeah. two weeks ago Mm -hmm. I want to come to the next one by the way I'm inviting myself it was great it was at National Sada shout out yes I've been to two shows there now and they were both great and yeah if no one's been to Sawdust it's one of the coolest venues in the city cool Yeah. yeah um and I just wanted to ask you like you had a lot of people with you on stage, like a lot of collaborated, mm-hmm. a lot of artists and friends of mm-hmm. yours, I'm sure. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, like, putting on a show like that where you're doing, I mean, it was a full 
show like there were so many songs how what is the process of putting that together like with so many people especially because I commented on that the day of I was like a lot of the other artists that day they had just their set bands they didn't have so many people coming on and off Mm -hmm. they didn't have so many different styles of music but you had that so what was that process like uh yeah so I think it's just a matter of who I am as a creator and as a person and I'm I'm not just a normal musician. Not that not that those other women weren't, because those two artists are incredible. Um, yeah, they were really they great. They were so good. Elle Winston, she just dropped her, her debut album. It's on Spotify. You should all check her out. And Emily Elbert, yeah, Emily Elbert also is an amazing blues guitarist and singer. So they have these amazing bands and these amazing brands and these amazing like vehicles on stage. And I'm just not like that. I'm I'm a filmmaker and a musician and I sing and I play guitar and I make movies and I help on other people's movies and I do voiceover. I just do a lot of creative things. So instead of just trying to put a band together willy-nilly, I wanted to do it right and mm-hmm. pl- play my songs correctly and play them like how, how they're meant to be played. And I feel like I just know about bringing other artists in and collaborating with other people. I just really love doing that. So for me, bringing each of my songs to life like separately and having each song be like its own little show was more effective than just like having a band on stage, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Um, I definitely felt that because each song was different. I mean, you had a cellist. Yeah. (laughs) You had at one point like a film playing in the background, Mm -hmm. which was very cool. Um, yeah. You had Daniela, who's another friend of ours, who's awesome, mm-hmm. come on and play with you. You had a pianist, like, it was yeah. just so many different instruments. And I feel like it, the, the show kind of was a glimpse into me and my work as a whole. It wasn't just, like, here's somebody who writes songs and plays with her band. It's, like, here's yeah, someone... It felt like more than that. And it sure. was, like, an arc of my career, too, because some of those songs were... Like, the first song I wrote was up there. Yeah, I felt so good. I recognized some of them. Yeah, I played those for you in the yeah, summer for Labor Day. Um, and now they're, like, full band pieces, and who would have thought that that's how they would have sounded? But, yeah, I just have, have been de- developing my sound and my... Uh, my, uh, I don't know persona on stage or whatever it is I've just been developing that and finding that it's more interesting to me as a creator to take each one separately and then add people in so like one of the songs I just felt like it needed to have cello and I just happened to meet a cellist that worked that works with me and I was like will you want to try play some cello on this and so then it just turned into a collaboration and um yeah, I've met my band members doing another, like, small song circle thing, and that was just a, like, hey, you, you play good music, I play good music, you want to try out some of our stuff together sometime? And now it has, like, they're my band now, which is really cool. So I'm just, like, surrounded by amazing artists and friends, good people, good vibes. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. So what's next? Yeah, well, right now I have a couple of exciting things going on. I was in Ireland about a month ago. Uh, filming a production of Hamlet, an adaptation, uh, and it's love Hamlet. It's so good. I I've never been. I never was like a crazy fan of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I always appreciated it, but didn't really understand it and really get 
why it's so impactful and now I get it it's yeah. incredible Shakespeare's brilliant um, I just want to like do Shakespeare always but also do all these other things okay so we were talking a little bit before so yes. the goal of this podcast is talking about the millennial experience mm -hmm. and what that means to you whether or not you feel like your experience is different from past generations and what I wanted to talk about the first show I saw of you it was kind of like a cabaret like you did a lot of covers and things like that it was like a long time ago the 70s one yeah oh yeah and that was the first one yeah oh. I wanted to ask you like do you feel like being a filmmaker and a a songstress I guess if we're going with that term <laughs> I like um, that term keep it, I like do it. um you know compared to people that you look up to your peers maybe people you still work with like do you feel like being a 20 something in New York is different from what you thought it would be or what previous generations that you've encountered did in the same field that you're working in now oh my gosh that's such a big question I know Sorry. uh living in New York City as a 20 something year old is I don't know if it's different from what I thought it would be, but it's just, it's so much. It's so much that I couldn't have even imagined what this would be like living in yeah. this city. I think when you're young, and I mean, when I first moved here six years ago now, it was different living here six years ago. Yeah, I agree. I also moved here six years ago. And yeah. the city has changed enormously. The and city has changed. Six years. I've changed. Yeah. Um, my beliefs have changed. It's my... all been downhill. <laughs> yeah, it's it's de Blasio. <laughs> Maddie is actually, in case you didn't realize it, 87 years old. <laughs> it's a degenerate um, age. Um, so, which... Uh, well, I think one thing that's yeah. really interesting, especially as we were earlier talking with mm -hmm. a social media expert, but your films and your work, you don't show any of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, from the two that I watched as if I'm now an expert in <laughs> Katie Luke's filmography. But, like, I just, that was something that struck me because I was like, you're giving a slice of life, of mm -hmm. millennial life, but there's, yeah. no one's, like, texting their boyfriend, which yeah. is really interesting. It's very universal. Yeah. Yeah. Like it could transcend time a little bit. I think that's definitely a goal, to keep it time and place kind of ambiguous. Uh, but it's also helpful to have a, a set, like, time... I don't know. It's I'm really a very nostalgic person. I love things that are old. Mm -hmm. I love records. I love old typewriters. I love like all the stupid hipster things that are people get annoyed about like and call them hipsters. Like I'm very much that way. Like not shamefully, like shamelessly, let's say. Uh I really love old things and I don't know what what that has to do with anything, but I feel really connected to the older generations. I feel like not all millennials feel that way. Mm -hmm. um, and I think millennials get a really bad rap because we are so technologically driven and we are so, like everything's moving so fast for us as opposed to how slow things kind of moved for previous generations mm -hmm. just because of the things we have at our disposal. Um, and millennials get such a bad rap for being loud and ungrateful and um like selfish and self-absorbed and i feel like not all of us are that way and it's frustrating that we are just put in a box just because of how old we are 
for the way that we see the world and the way that things are. I also feel like, and maybe Katie and Shay can both chime in on this because we haven't talked about it on the podcast yet, but I feel like a lot of the criticisms you could say of millennials are just criticisms of young people in general. Yes. And I feel like, you know, looking at the boomers, which like our, all of our parents, I think, Mm -hmm. are Mm -hmm. boomers, Mm -hmm. you know, their parents probably said similar things to them when they were listening to that rock and roll. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Totally. So I'm like, what, what about being a millennial, a millennial is unique and what is it just being a young person? Yeah, I think what's more interesting is that it is just being a young person with like the speed of the now at our disposal. Mm -hmm. Um, because anyone can do anything and go on YouTube and learn. Like you, anyone can learn to play guitar now. Mm-hmm. You don't have to like know someone who knows how to play, or you don't have to go buy a book or go take lessons. You can literally like grab a guitar and go online and learn how to play a bunch of songs. It's not hard to do. Yeah. Um, but I resist that way of of living. As far as my millennial experience, I'm more interested in, again, the connection to other people is so important to me. And mm-hmm. that also ties into this city. Because this city can be so isolating. Yeah. But there's so many of us on top of each other. But mm-hmm. sometimes we never even, like, talk or make eye contact with anyone. Yeah. You know, like on the subway. You could go a whole day in the city without speaking to one person. Yeah. Easily. Mm-hmm. Not uh, to... Oh, sorry. Yeah. I mean, not to get totally off topic, but when I got my dog earlier for last fall, it was something that I immediately like realized I'd lived in the same neighborhood for six years and had not talked. I'd never spoken to most of my neighbors. And now that I have the dog, it's like, we talk to everybody. And it's so interesting that I never even realized that was a problem until I flipped the other way. It's Mm -hmm. also super annoying because a lot of times I don't want to talk to people, but (laughs) whatever. Totally. So, Um, In terms of being... A professional artist how do you get how do you use technology or newer sort of millennial ways like social media or technology like how do you feel like it's harder or easier for you to get your work out there and do the things that you want to do professionally totally well it's definitely easier with social media to be able to have this interface already set up for me to just funnel my stuff through Mm -hmm. (laughs) that definitely makes it easier Um, Because there's already an audience that's generated by the nature of the way like Instagram is set up and the way that Facebook is set up. And all you have to do is hit a button to connect with people. Yeah. And that's great, but it still is not the same as like sitting down with somebody and having a conversation with them or playing a song for them instead of just having them watch videos online. Mm -hmm. But it's like you can't have one without the other. I, I wouldn't be as like my reach would not be as far without my social media accounts and I rely on them heavily and I'm really working on how to make them effective mm-hmm. for my brand and my and my art so I'm figuring it out I'm trying to figure out the balance between being too buying too much into the way that our society mm-hmm. operates with technology and also removing myself from it and being able to create outside of it but still use it to funnel it's a necessary evil stuff. for you yeah totally. so that's interesting yeah and coming um, from we kind of joked about this in our first episode but shay and i both feel that people from the midwest are the best people mm-hmm. ever and easily we're definitely biased easily. <laughs> um because we're all from we're easy to get along here. with we're open and kind and accepting mm-hmm. i think 
the Midwest always gets a bad rap for people being like not open and accepting. Yeah. And maybe sometimes people aren't in that part of the country. But for the most part, everyone's kind and like their parents raise them right to be respectful of other people and and totally yeah. So I wanted to ask you because we're we're from pretty much the same right. hometown, mm-hmm. like which I you, love meeting people from like your hometown that you never would have. <laughs> there's known. more and more people coming to New York all the time from mm-hmm. that area, and there's such an understanding between you and yeah. the people that you grew up with, mm-hmm. even though you didn't actually grow up with them. Totally, just because we had similar experiences. That we'll connect on, we might not even know about. We may never talk about it, but it's just there. Absolutely. Like, inherently. Absolutely. So, I wanted to ask you, like, people that you went to high school with or people that are from Michigan that you knew closer in college and now that you're out of college, how do you feel like the millennial experience is different regionally? And I mean, even being in the creative space, I'm sure you know a lot of Mm -hmm. people on the West Coast, even, Mm -hmm. like, West Coast, Midwest... Mm -hmm. East Coast. Internationally, like, too. How, yeah, internationally. Yeah. Do you feel like there are some commonalities, or do you feel like it's different depending on what you're exposed to on a daily basis, what you're doing, those types of things? Yeah, it's totally different. It's totally different. Um, if I was still in Michigan right now, I would not be doing the things that I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. And I would not know myself as well, I don't think. Because, again, with the speed at which the city moves is the speed at which we change and develop. And so regionally, depending on what city you're in, it's crazy the way a city can make you move as a person Mm -hmm. and make you change. Just like New York is changing crazy fast in the Mm -hmm. past six years, I've changed the same. Yeah. And I go back to Michigan, for instance, and I love it, and I I love that my family still lives there, and a lot of my friends are still there. And it's a beautiful state. If anyone ever needs a vacation, go to Pure Michigan. Pure Michigan. Yeah, Tim Allen's voice. Yeah, it's great. That's their slogan. Um, but I feel on the like signs now, like if you drive there, it says like yeah. "Welcome to Pure oh, Michigan," absolutely. which I love. Oh my god! But I feel like when I go back to Michigan, I'm like regressing almost. Like I feel like I'm being pulled backwards in time, mm. in in my understanding of other people, in culture, in I'm sure part of that, too, is, like, all of your memories from there. Like, you stopped developing as, like, a a Michigander Mm -hmm. or whatever at a certain age. So every time you go go there, it's, like, you go back to those memories automatically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting because I feel like, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to articulate what I'm thinking clearly, but being a little bit older and now that most of my peers are having... I mean, their second or third yeah. baby. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, although I've had all these amazing experiences and I've lived all over the world and I've been in New York and it's mm-hmm. been so formative for me, when I go back now, sometimes I, you know, because my life and not as plateauing, but like I kind of know myself as an adult. And then when I go back and I see that they're growing in these ways as mothers and partners and mm-hmm. um, tend to be way further ahead in their career than I am because they had one job when they were 23 and mm-hmm. 10 years later they're still working there um there's a part of me sometimes that's like oh am I like missing out on like kind of um like this more state not stayed growth but I don't know that I, I think like there's oh, stability yeah like growing in one place but like is there's this pulling backwards that then pushes you forward when you stay in the same place yeah. I guess forever Absolutely. yeah, yeah. I, I feel the same way it does work like, yeah. there are some people I know totally. from, like, our hometown who are, like, very happy with it. Yeah. Who are totally, like, this is where I want to be. Like, I want to invest in the Metro Detroit area. Yeah, absolutely. 
Like, I totally see that, and that's, I do too. that's very valid. And, and that's not to say that growth is not happening in Michigan. I do not mean to say that at all. Like, But I hear, but for you personally, when you go back there, there's, like, a stickiness. For me and who who I'm, I think I'm meant to be and what I'm called to do, I would not be able to do it in Michigan. Yeah. But you need that foundation. But I do need that yeah. foundation, and my parents set me up for success. They're yeah. they're the best. My family is Aww. is everything. Yeah. Um, my parents are very sweet. Yeah, my parents are great. My brother's great. My grandparents are the best. Aww. Great cousins. Small family. Um, and they're all in Michigan, and they're all like probably will never leave. Um, but they're growing rapidly as well. Like my brother is one of the best people I know. Um, but he would never live in New York as much as I try to get him to come here. Aww. He'll never live with me here. Um, maybe for like a year he'll come to Brooklyn for a second, but yeah. probably, probably will never live here with me. So, he, oh, sorry. But Go he's on. growing as well. Yeah. Like he's growing and becoming a really amazing man in Michigan at a different rate than I am growing and discovering here. Yeah. But yeah, when I do go back, I can feel like how different my life would be had I stayed there. Exactly. Um, I think that's something that's really interesting to talk about being a creative person and having a family that supports you. I mean, one thing that really has shocked me with mentoring millennials, young millennials at NYU, how many young women come to me and say, I'm really interested in studying literature I and mean, generally what they're asking me about because that's what I studied. Mm-hmm. And they're like, but my dad really wants me to major in finance and he's not going to pay for any more of my I mean, education. That's what breaks parents, my heart. And that, yeah. like... My dad, I mean, I felt like very similar. I mean, my dad is a physician and he would much, and he would never say this, but he probably wishes that I were, you know. I mean, parents always want you to be. <laughs> and attending right now, but I'm not. They want you to be happy, yeah. but they also don't want you to, like, but, be an emotional and financial sponge forever. Exactly. Yeah. And, exactly. But I mean, yeah, I think like, that your course. parents weren't as extreme in this as I've heard from some people. And I, and I never I realized, kind of, I wouldn't say extreme, but like they told it, like they wouldn't have paid for NYU. a history major. If you'd know. Yeah. History, like yeah. I got into Michigan, I got into the university of Michigan and I got into NYU and they were like, if you want to get a liberal arts degree, like if you want to get a degree in English or history or something more artistic, like you can go to Michigan mm-hmm. and we'll pay for you to go for five years and we'll buy you a car when you get out oh my god like literally my parents told me that yeah and I mean, it was kind of in jest but they were like the amount of money like NYU is so expensive uh, yeah, totally. but they were like we can pay that's what you can get for eight in, grand in a Michigan. year for you to go to NYU State, or we can yeah, pay totally. 60 grand like it's just so, such a different level of mm-hmm. spending but they were like we'll pay for you just to basically dick around for however many years you want to go to Michigan mm-hmm. but if you want to go to New York it's so expensive and it's so hard to make it there that you have to like set yourself up mm-hmm. for this yeah so yeah, I mean, yeah. I would. I, I think if I had gotten here and I was so unhappy with being a finance major, they would have been supportive of that. Like, I liked it and I stuck with it, so mm-hmm. it was fine. But at the onset, yeah, like as a college senior, they were like, "We're not going to pay for you to get a history degree at NYU. It's just not happening." Especially yeah. when you have Michigan as an option, it's the same totally education mm-hmm. essentially. Luckily for me, when it came to college, it was well. Aside from my parents being the most supportive people I've ever yeah. met and 100% backing me in my dream to be a Broadway star, because that's what brought me to New York was the white way, the great white way. Yeah. Um, and they just believed in me and were they didn't really care how much it would cost or how much it would take to get me here. They just wanted mm-hmm. me to be happy if that's what I wanted. And when it came down to it, the schools that I got into, it was a no-brainer that I would come here. And I'm just so lucky that I am financially able to 
to handle it yeah. with my parents' help and my grandparents' help. They've like put me through everything, and I would not be here without them. And I, of course, want to be more independent because I feel like I'm like growing and I have my own views and I have my own life that I'm setting mm-hmm. up that is so different from I think they ever imagined it would be yeah. and so different than I ever imagined it would be. Like I can't write what where I am right now. I, I don't think six years ago I would have said I'd be sitting in the position I'm sitting in right now yeah. so as far as what I'm doing. I think this is an important question and something that I just want to tell our listeners about Katie. Katie is one of the hardest workers. I think I've known her since she was freshman yes. in college, a little baby freshman. <laughs> um, and she gives 300% all the time. And so, yes, maybe her parents support her, but tell us what else you do to support yourself besides making art, because I know you do a lot of things. Yeah, I do. I do a lot of things. Um, and I think that's also why my parents have backed me because mm-hmm. they see that I'm not just sitting on my ass. You're definitely not like a potato. No. Yeah, I'm not just like <laughs> kind of doing it. I'm just doing so many things mm-hmm. that they know that I'm going to make it happen and they believe in me, which is yeah. so, I'm so lucky to have that. But I work, um, I always worked a handful of jobs. Right now I'm, I'm in between setting up like my next version of employment, but mm-hmm. I've worked in restaurants as a server, as a bartender. Katie got me a job at a restaurant once upon a time. <laughs> That's true. We did work together at yeah. that restaurant. Um, I've worked at a lot of different restaurants. I've worked with brand ambassadoring, um, social media week. I've like helped run those like festival type things. Mm-hmm. I did like a, a for some cruise line, like basically any kind of brand you could think of, like Trident Gum, Popcorn, Fresh & Co. on the corner, like whatever it is, <laughs> I've like probably been the face of their brand for a second. I've done that for a while. Um, I've, I do voiceover, um, which helps pay the bills a little bit more, but it's mm-hmm. hard. It's not easy. It's like acting still. You don't, you don't book things for like months and then you'll book something and make a yeah. lot of money. Um, so that, um, but yeah, just a lot of different odd yeah. jobs to well, keep myself afloat. And the big, you know, criticism of millennials, and particularly creative millennials, is that oh, you're like just riding on your parents' money mm-hmm. and their coach strings, and, and what you know, and you're of, not working. Yeah. And I think it's important to highlight, yeah. you know, how hard you're working not only at your yeah. art but also and all to of the money that I've me. put into my films and my music and all the things that I've all the money I've put out towards my career has been my own money. Yeah. So that's yes, awesome. my parents paid to get me through school, and I'm so lucky to not have any student debt, which is such a rare experience to have in our generation mm-hmm. and from NYU alums. So they helped me God, with the foundation NYU. again, that yeah. like strong, strong foundation. But all the money that I've put out into my career thus far has been from my own pocket. So I have been working hard that's to generate awesome. some kind yeah. of money to be able to pay awesome. pay the bills. So. I would love to hear Katie sing and maybe to have Daniela accompany her. We have another millennial guest in the studio right now. Her name is Daniela. She's sitting on the ca- or on the bed, whatever this <laughs> on our couch. I mean, in our We're studio, like this in our very professional <laughs> studio. It's definitely so, not my bedroom. <laughs> definitely not Maddie's bedroom. Um, so let's grab the guitar. Whenever I'm in the mindset of a dream, I think of you, I think of us, and what we used to 
used to be. The change, yes, it comes. Change, yes, we must. Mm-hmm. Whenever I see pairs in love, it warms my heart. In closing, um, I always think it's fun because I'm like a boring office person <laughs> to ask people for recommendations, either of mm. music, films, other podcasts, yeah. since that's the okay, medium cool. we're on, like whatever is inspiring you lately, tell yeah. us so we can also um, partake. I'm obsessed with St. Vincent. She's <gasps> the movie. One of the best. Oh. No, the movie's great. The movie. The oh, artist. Excellent. Oh, yes. 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 Um, also great. That's a really good yeah. movie, though. I was surprised that it was such a good movie because mm-hmm. it was so commercial, but they did a really good job. Mm-hmm. Um, St. Vincent, guitar player band. Yeah. Um, She's great. Best guitar player like, I think that exists in our of our time and of our kind of generation because she's mm-hmm. kind of like on the cusp of mm-hmm. our age. I mean, she's older, but She's one of yeah. the best. Um, and I like listening to her. I would recommend listening to her from her first album through... She was part of the... I remember she did um, 
I don't know if you saw this, the Nirvana induction to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, my God. They had all female oh my God. vocalists. They had Joan Jett. They nice. had St. Vincent. They had Lord. That's cool. And it was amazing. Damn. She did such a good job. Yeah, she's amazing. But I like, she's really cool the way that she's transformed as an artist, too. So mm-hmm. I'd recommend starting with her first album and just listening to it all because <laughs> she's awesome. amazing. So that's like the music I'm listening to right now. Um, also, I've been going to a lot of shows uh, at various venues in Brooklyn and New York, and the people that are making music right now are incredible. Um, so, yeah, people should just come hang Do out with me to go to music. Do you have favorite venues you like, or just like... Um, well, what? Sawdust is amazing. Mm-hmm. I really like the Knitting Factory. Um, pianos is chill. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've seen some good stuff there's pianos. like a lot. There's so all the venues, have all the ones that everyone knows. At pianos. Which one? They have great frozen margaritas. At pianos. <laughs> I mean, priorities, pianos. please. Oh, perfect. Yeah, any any anywhere we can get margaritas. Um, yeah, so that's that's music, um, film right now. I've been watching a TV show that is really good, and it's like a sleeper. I think it's called Girl Boss. On Netflix. Oh. I watched the first episode and I thought it was good. I, I haven't thought it was continued. so good. I just was like, oh, this will just be like a frilly, like fun, stupid, um, like commercial yeah. piece that is. Charlize Theron Theron. I don't know. Oh, really? She's, She's behind it. She produced it with Sophia okay. Amoros. I was going to really say, is good. it based on Sophia yeah. Amoros's book, mm-hmm. which I still haven't read? It takes place, I think, in in the '90s or the 2000s. So it's it's like what a 20 year old would have been 90s, going through yeah. when we were children. And it takes place in San Francisco, and the lead character is, like, I feel like my spirit animal, kind of. <laughs> the actress she's is really great. Chill. I don't know her name, but I've seen her in other things. Yeah, so she's pretty really cool. cute and adorable, and but really strong, and I just identify with her a lot. And it's really nice to find an entertaining piece of art out there that's that I can identify with, because uh-huh. sometimes it's hard because it's too commercial or it's too artsy or it's too heavy or it's too and this is just like a this is a girl who's in her 20s and living in a big city and figuring out who she is and she's a badass like there's Mm. one-liners like these feminism like feminist one-liners in there and so like girl power oriented without like smashing it in your face so it's like really easy to watch i'm only like three episodes in but yeah i'm I'm one episode in yeah but i'm zero yeah um, Sorry, want to be part of the conversation? Yeah. Um, yeah. What? What else? Do you listen to podcasts? I, I like don't asking really people listen about to podcasts. Do so your favorite to podcast is Camp Adulthood in the Resident? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This Obviously. episode when it comes yeah. out will be your favorite podcast. Yeah. Perfect. Um, Tastemaker yeah. number one. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Yes. Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. That's awesome. That's amazing. It's a good title. Well, thank you so much thank for being exactly. here. And where can people find you? What is your mm-hmm. preferred method of uh, follow me on connect. Instagram. I really do do a lot of like connecting with people on there. And what's your Instagram? So it's just my name, K-A-T-Y-L-U-E-C-K. Awesome. And dot .com is my website. So yeah, just check me out there. I've got some cool films coming up. I'm sure my EP will be in the making very shortly. I'm so excited. And um, yeah, trying to set up some gigs. So very cool. yeah, just keeping it moving. Thank you for having me. If you would like to participate in our show, we would love to hear from you. We have an email address, hello at campadulthood.com. We would love to hear your stories. I feel like the show thus far has been us talking about our experiences and having conversations, which has been great, and our guests have been great, but we would like to expand the conversation. If you've had the unique experience of being a millennial, being a young person in school, in the workplace, whatever 
that means to you, we would love to hear that. And we want to highlight your experience and give you a platform. Um, We also have a Twitter and Instagram so far, and we will have a Facebook. So far, Twitter and Instagram, both at camp underscore adulthood. Um, We would love to see pictures of what you're doing, cool projects that you're working on. If you want to tweet us questions, if you want to tweet us examples of, you know, things that you've experienced, hot topics, we would love suggestions. Um, different guests that you want to have on that are available in New York City to talk to us. Anything that you want, we want this to be a crowdsourced endeavor. So please connect with us. We'd love to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening, guys.